great message. <coughs> Isaac Watts gets a lot of credit for writing a lot of those good old songs. Well, last week we looked at a psalm with 36 verses. That'd be a bunch. Which one we're looking at today? Hey, hey, hey. If you listen this morning, you heard me say. Psalm 70. Psalm 70. It's got five verses. It's got five verses. So if I talk about 10 minutes for each one, that's not my purpose. But I do want you to know, if you've been paying attention, you've heard these before. Because <coughs> the five verses that constitute this song are almost identical to the last five verses of Psalm number 40. The Lord didn't tell me why he did that. That's his business. But it's his word. So, if you say, Preacher, didn't we read this before? If God wants to repeat himself, you would agree that's his business, right? Okay, so I'm certainly not going to have a problem about this. <coughs> but let's read these verses. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Let them be ashamed and confounded that seek after my soul. Let them be turned backward and put to confusion that desire my hurt. Let them be turned back for a reward of their shame that say, Uh-huh, uh-huh. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. And let such as love thy salvation say continually, let God be magnified. And by the way, folks, when we talk about magnifying the Lord, magnifying the name of the Lord, it doesn't mean I'm getting my magnifying glass to make God bigger. Because you can't make God bigger. But we are to lift up our voices. Our minds are to be stayed upon Him. And to know that even if we think we know everything about the Lord, we're just scratching the surface, folks. You meet somebody who's been a child of God many more years than you. You meet somebody who's been studying the Scriptures many more years than you. Reading the Scriptures will humble you. Some people think they're Bible scholars because they can quote John 3.16. And they'll even throw in Genesis 1-1 for good measure. We had a boy in a school in Millington on a, in a Bible class. He asked one of the other teachers, which one of the Psalms is the 23rd Psalm? And he said, one after number 22. Really? Yeah, it works out that way. With it goes. <clears throat> Some people will probably be surprised to find out there's anything after the 23rd Psalm. And 
somebody being surprised to find there's something before the 23rd. But it's just one of a 150. In fact, <coughs> the Psalms, such a massive text that we have five books within. And we're close to the end of book two of the Psalms. I have labeled this for my purposes a prayer of the persecuted. Because if you are really the Lord's child and you're talking like it and walking like it, you're going to make some enemies. Some folks ain't going to be too comfy with you saying praise the Lord. Somebody noticed what Ms. Denise put on the back of the bulletin. Wrong church. Right here. Sometimes uh, people get that way with where the lady says, I just get so excited about the Lord. And the usher said, well, you might have found the Lord, but you didn't find him here. You know, the Latins have a saying, ipsy dixit. That means he said it himself. Sometimes we say something, we don't realize just how much truth there is to it. When we were little kids, Mom and Dad took us to one denomination. Uh, let's see. What, well, let's just start with, I forget. Anyway. Loser. <coughs> no, they weren't lizards, but close to it. I said losers. <coughs> yeah, Lou, Lou, Lou something. And uh, some poor guy there had a frog in his throat. And in the middle of the message, you heard him go, <clears throat> it was louder than the preacher was speaking. Everybody turned and looked at him like, how dare you interrupt our services? Reminds me of something old. You knew Corbett Mask, didn't you? Corbett Mask? He was big time ABA at one time. Corbett said, it was in one church, and it was what some people call Decoration Day or Memorial Day. And the little fellow was there with his grandma. He said, Mom, Grandma, what are those little flags for? And she says, those are the men who died in the service. He thought for a minute, it was the morning or the evening. <laughs> well, that one sinks in after a while. But if you are on fire for the Lord, there are people who want to squirt you. There are people who want to put a cover over you. There are people who want to tell you to put a socket. They don't want to hear that. Now, if you're talking about a certain ball game, or you're talking about a particular political candidate, or whatever they're interested, oh, they're excited about that. They think there's something weird about you if you don't. Go hog wild and get, oh, I shouldn't use that expression. In our if you just get all excited about the things that thrill some folks, and yet some hymn writer wrote a song, All That Thrills My Soul is 
Jesus. That ought to be our attitude. That ought to be our perception. But you find yourself in the crosshairs of some people. They're going to make fun. They're going to turn you off. They're going to tell you talk to the hand. They don't want anything to do with what you're talking about. And we still are obliged to live for the Lord. We should talk for Him. We should walk for Him regardless. Years ago I heard a message and it really struck home in Proverbs 29. It says, the fear of man brings a snare. <clears throat> I'm afraid what somebody think about me if I said hallelujah too loud in church. Really? Have you ever been to a ball game and boop, somebody hits the baseball and it's going to be a, it's a high point, it's a whole run. You ever heard somebody yell and, oh, sell yourself. Grow up. We're mature people here. We just keep our joy to ourselves. We don't want to push our, our baseball enthusiasm too far. No. <clears throat> if you're excited about something, it'll probably show. It'll probably sound out loud and clear. And then people go to church. Well, I don't want people to think I'm a fanatic. That'd be a shame, wouldn't it? People really knew that you were saying glory concerning the things of God. <clears throat> Let's look at verse 4 for a moment and then the balance of this. Because this prayer is not for the world wing. This prayer is not for the heathen or however you want to say it. This prayer is not for those who have no regard for the things of God. This is pray a prayer for the righteous, people with the right hearts. If you struggle as a Christian, that's probably a sign you're doing something right. Because you have a whole slew of enemies out there. Collectively, they're known as the world. Spiritually, we think of Satan. And the guy in the mirror, he really gives me fits too. But let's get the good news. Verse number four. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. <clears throat> Something about rejoicing in the Lord. That's in here a lot. You can't go too long before you come across somebody who is or is exhorting others to rejoice in the Lord. And let such as love thy salvation say continually, let God be magnified. August 26, 1977, I went public and told everybody who would listen about March Harris. I've said it a few times since then. And she said that to me. And I'm not through. 
החופשית מעלית. But I was counseling somebody not too long ago. They were hitting some rocky times and she says, he never tells me he loves me anymore. And I said, never? I told her when I proposed. Really? Most people tell their dog they like them on a pretty regular basis. Some people even tell their cat that. I know a guy told his lizard that. That's where the lizard comes in. <clears throat> but do you rejoice in the Lord? And are you ashamed to say so? Shame on you if you're ashamed. Let such as love thy salvation. Are you thankful? Are you grateful? Oh, yeah. Every Thanksgiving I say, I'll throw God a bone and say, yeah, thanks. Why? Oh, can you spare it? We should be lavish in our expression of gratitude. Amen. My folks taught me, never forget a kindness. And who's been kinder to us than the Lord? Who has given more? Who is the one we can always go to? Your best friend, your dearest relative. The, the person that you consider your kindred spirit, they might, till their dying breath, be on your side, in your corner, but even they die. God's not going to dump you. God's not going to stump you. God's not going to thump you. I didn't mean to do that, but it just came out that way. And God's not going to die on you. No wonder we sing a song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. It'd make a pretty good scripture, wouldn't it? If it said, When my father and my mother first... Oh, oh yeah, that's in scripture too. All the good scriptures are taken, aren't they? When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. We have a friend closer than a brother. Some brothers are, are very, very close. I was, humanly speaking, closer to my deceased brother Jeff than I am to my brother Randy. But some people, they don't even talk to their brothers or sisters. That's, that's their business. But as tight as two friends, as tight as two brothers or two sisters could be, you can have an even greater, a closer, a nearer, and a dearer relationship. The first part of this verse says, if you seek him, you do well to rejoice in him. Is your attitude to the Lord? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I got to do what Jesus says. I got to read this book. I got to try to think these kind of thoughts. Ah, you know, it, it takes something to be a Christian. Well, there's truth in that. It takes a mind. It takes a heart. It takes an attitude. Some people don't seem to want to have that mind, that heart, that attitude. And we've seen it many, many times in the Psalms. And the Lord gives me life and breath as we keep going. We'll keep seeing that. We even saw that 
Yeah, you know, a good psalm to read would be Psalm 100. Oh, that's right. We did that once or twice today already. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all ye saints. Now, if you're a heathen and you want to admit it, I guess based on that verse, you could say, I'm not going to read God. But yet the scriptures also let them have life and bread. And as far as I know, that's all of us. And the redeemed have a priority. It's not so I can get some goodies. So I can be advanced. So I can feel good about myself. I was talking with Paul at lunch about the fact that so much of humanistic psychology is attempting to manipulate people. A really clever psychologist can manipulate people to do what they want without them knowing they've been manipulated. Kind of like Mark Twain talked about the guy painting the fence. Instead of telling us, oh man, I gotta paint this fence. No, he turned it around. <laughs> he made money off his buddy. What? what did, I'll tell you what, you're my buddy, so I'll, I'll let you help me paint this fence. And so, what are you doing? Oh, he's letting me, oh, is it, I, I have an extra paintbrush. He's got, sure, sure, I like you too. The next thing you know, the whole job's done by your buddies. And they're thanking you for the privilege. Anytime. That's what friends are for. So they said, well, but we see that time and time again. In fact, uh, <clears throat> even this next psalm, Psalm 71, verse 23, My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing unto thee. Oh, how I love Jesus. Don't frown. Don't scowl when you sing that. Oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, because he first loved me. There's a lot of theology, and that's just a chorus, but there's a lot to that. We got to know it so. Paul told the Corinthians in his first inspired letter, chapter 10, verse 3, with Everything you do, you ought to do it for the glory of God. We thank God for that meal. And on behalf of Marcia and Paul and myself, thank you for the kindness that you showed us. But wouldn't I be a lousy person if I didn't thank God? Because everything I have came from God. My mind whereby I can remember and appreciate and attempt to express my gratitude. That comes from God. He gave me a voice so I can say so. He gave me eyes so I can see so. He gave me hands and feet so I can go and greet and do the things that the Lord would have me to do. When we think about it, the man who uses his hands to hurt somebody, the man who uses his feet to kick somebody, the man who uses his tongue to curse somebody. Like one of my buddies used to say, that's messed up. That's not the way it ought to be. 
time and time again. Look at it in Romans chapter 4. Old Abraham <coughs> was imperfect. So we can relate to him because like Granny used to say, we is the same perfect thing. Romans chapter 4. Look at verse 20, please. <clears throat> Here's God who says, I'm giving you a son. Not a son by the strange woman. Not the son of one of your servants in your household. A son from your own loins, by your wife, Sarah. And so Isaac is born. And Isaac grows and grows and grows. And then one day the Lord says, it's recorded in the 22nd of Genesis, you take your son, your only son, Isaac, the one you love, and you sacrifice him. Wait, wait, wait a minute now. I love this kid. I care for him. And you gave him to me. I don't get it. Sometimes God does things that we don't think it matches. And we start trying to outthink God. Well, that's, that's wrong. But Abraham knew what God had said. And he knew that God had also said you take him to a place I'll show you. And you sacrifice him. That didn't mean you take him and put him in time out for five minutes. He didn't say you spank his hand and tell him, no, 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 naughty boy. He didn't say you smack him upside the head or beat his backside or something like that. No. Abraham knew very well he was to take the knife and plunge it into the heart of Isaac. And then once the lad was dead, he was to take the carcass and burn it to a crisp. Abraham's faith was such, God can do anything. And if God tells me to do that, and he also said he's going to raise up nations from this lad, it's not above God's power. Raise him from the dead to lift him up from the ashes to put life into him, and he could fulfill that. Where do you get that, preacher? This verse, verse 20. What's it say about Abraham? And staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Now, some of the promises God has made his word was that I don't know, right? I don't see how that could happen. How's God going to do that? Let God take care of the how. That, that's, that's the deal. Sometimes people just need to turn the letters around. Instead of H-O-W, just jumble to make it W-H-O. Who promised? God promised. If God promised, he is able to do. How far? Paul said, more than you can ask. Or think. Somebody's got their mind going. Somebody's got their mouth going. They, I think God could do this. I think God could do this. I'm supposing God, but God can do greater than you can say and I can say. He can do greater than you can imagine and I can imagine. Just think about that. Wrap your mind around that way. And that's the kind of faith that Abraham had. 
He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. And he didn't say, by the way, I'm mature enough. I got this figured out. That's the person you want to look out for. Instead, giving glory to God. God is so powerful. God is so wise. God is so past finding out. His ways are past finding out. No wonder we read in the scripture, with man is not possible, with God all things are possible. So if you have the right heart, <clears throat> read verse 4. But sometimes you think about the petitioner, this man David who's crying out. Many Bible scholars think that this is something that David wrote while he was being chased by Absalom, his rebel son who wanted to get him dead, who declared war on his dad, who was also his king. Well, <clears throat> we go back to this. and First of all, a reality check. What's the deal with us? Are we super strong? I can do this, I can do that. Look at verse 5. I am poor. I am needy. David's not the only one like that. I'm poor. I'm needy. Now, when I was the age of uh, sky back then, well, I was 10 foot tall and bulletproof. Nobody could tell me much of him. And I thought I was invincible. I could do anything. Well, you live a few years and you start getting some aches and pains and reality sets in. I'm not really so strong as I thought. I can't really hold out as long as I thought. I'm not as smart as I thought. I'm not quite what my press releases might have said, no matter who wrote them. I am poor. I am needy. I hope if you've never been there, the Lord brings you to that soon. I'm reminded not long ago we looked at Proverbs 30. It talks about the conies. The coney is a little rabbit type creature. It doesn't have sharp claws and strong paws. It, it doesn't have tremendous speed. It can't sprout wings and fly away. Now on the West Coast, there's a fish called a flying fish. He doesn't really fly, but he almost flies in the sense that he's got a shark chasing him, and he's going through the water. He goes faster and faster and faster. And when he gets to the surface, once he hits the surface, boom, he's in the air, and his fins come out, and he's able to sail. So if he's swimming this way, and the shark's behind him, and he gets to the surface, as soon as he hits the air, he put up, and he can go this way and that way. And the shark doesn't know where he's going. And boop! He lands in the water someplace totally unpredicted by the shark. But the coney can't do that. He can't dig a hole. He can't chew on the enemy. He can't pull up some spur or, or squirt some poison at him. Or, or, or uh, the porcupine has his quills, you know, and all that. No! His only defense is he just <coughs> make a little, kind of throw his voice, you know. 
And maybe the coyote whoever's after him, he might, but that's it. He's got to squeeze himself back in the rocks. They're a feeble folk. No strength. No speed. No stamina. As a match to the predator that would come and eat him. And we can relate to that. A feeble folk. Look at the last, or the third part of verse 5. Thou art my helper and my deliverer. So I can do all things. Sure you can, but read the whole verse. Through Christ, it strengthens me. Absolutely. Now the flip side is what Jesus said in John 15, 5. Without me, you can do this much as humbling. But it's part of that reality check that we need to be in touch with. When we read verses 2 and 3, we are reminded that the threat of enemies is not an empty threat. They're out to get you. They'll jump on you for what you say or don't say. For what you do or don't do. Sometimes they'll bake stuff up. What was it, in Sunday school we were talking about the fact that you know, if, if you've done something wrong and you get zinged for it, you got that coming to you. But what it can really zing is somebody makes something up and that's just as far from the truth as a country mile away. And, and yet we get irked because, well, my reputation, I have to think about these things a wise man said, you take care, care of your character. God will take care of your reputation. You want to live such that if somebody starts talking dirt about you, other people say, no, you're talking about somebody else. He doesn't do that. She doesn't do that. They don't go to those places. They don't get involved in those things. Hmm. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. I don't mind quoting Mr. Paul. When we come into that. What's it say in verse 2? Let them be ashamed and confounded that seek after my soul. Shame on you for targeting so and so. Don't give them any reason to go there. Let them be turned backward and put to confusion that desire my heart. They want to pull me down. They want to make me look bad. They want to make me the laughing stock. Well, rather than being consumed with answering those things, I'm just going to rise above. Because people are going to talk about you. People are going to talk about me. If you just listen long enough, you just might hear something about you you never knew you did. People will say all kinds of stuff. And uh, they can be pretty creative, i.e. they can just lie through their teeth. And then they taunt you with that, aha, aha. Uh, one of the sources I was using and researching for this says that the saying aha was a note of extreme contempt marking insult and triumph at the same time. They're so strong. They're so wonderful. I don't think so. <laughs> Look at that. So-and-so said such and such. And I choose 
believe them rather than so-and-so's reputation. So there are enemies who target the petitioner. In this case, we're talking about Mr. David. And he also requests for the Lord to give an ear, to provide aid, because you can't put out all the fires other people can start about you. You can't silence the tongues of all those that will wag against you. There's a lot more of them than there are you. There's a lot more of them than there are of me. You would spend your time 24-7 putting out the fires, denying the liars. The Lord's going to be up all night. He'll take care of those things. There might be something brewing in somebody's mind right now. Go get you. Going to try to make you look bad. Going to see you pulled down. Going to knock you down a few pegs. Well, don't worry about it. May those people be ashamed and confounded, we read in the first part of verse 2. May they be turned backward. God can turn them right around. Make them do a 180. And then turn back for a reward of their shame. They're going to say that about you. Well, guess what? Things have a way of coming around. Even the world says what comes around goes around, or maybe it's the other way. But uh, there is a sense of payback in this world. You do somebody else dirty, sooner or later, somebody's going to do you dirty. Then you realize what it's like to be on the receiving end. It's uh, not, a, not a whole lot of fun. And then we would close with that first verse linked with the last verse. Because when we're so targeted, we ache for attention and the aid of the Lord. We don't want the Lord to just take His time. When the Hebrews came under the domain of a cruel Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 1, it says, Joseph, what do I care about Joseph? These were wonderful folks living there in the land of Goshen. But a new Pharaoh arose who knew not Joseph. And instead of basically enjoying the benefits of living there, they were made to be slaves to do the will of the Pharaoh. And they cried out to the Lord. And they said, doesn't the Lord listen? Doesn't He care? The Lord heard their cry. Just because the Lord doesn't respond when you want, where you want, the way you want, doesn't mean that He's died or gone on vacation. They cried out, and they cried out, and they cried out, and finally, one Hebrew man and his Hebrew wife, they already had, they might have had others, but I know that they had a boy named Amram, and a daughter named Miriam, and then this little fellow comes along, and they said, we can't destroy this land. They hid him for three months. And then they realized, we can't do this forever. 
And so they made a little ark and put that little babe in that ark. And she said, commend him to the Lord. Put him out there. What could have happened in that ark? It could have filled with water and sunk like a rock. Or maybe an alligator, a crocodile, whatever they have in the Nile. Come along and gobble him up. Maybe exposed to the elements. Maybe die of thirst or hunger. But now, not only did God keep that little baby alive, it just so happened, lucky kid, he was sailing along, minding his own business, and that little ark came to a spot where the Pharaoh, same Pharaoh that made the command about killing him, his own daughter was bathing. And she says, what's that floating in the water? Let's go see what it is. And as they opened the thing up, that little baby cried. What kind of a woman would say, it's a little human, let's destroy it. They don't have that maternal instinct. I think that's one thing it's talking about when it says in the scripture that natural affection will be lost. We live in a day when the babe carried in a mother's womb is just a lump of protoplasm ready to be destroyed. I don't want to be inconvenienced by some kid. I'd rather die. I just won't think about it being a living thing. It's not really alive until it's breathing anyway. So it's just like removing a tumor. Just like having a boil lanced or something like that. I'll solve the problem. So they kill the child within the womb. Yeah, it, it's killing. It's killing a living thing when they do that. Kind of glad that, that uh, Moses' parents didn't decide. Well, let's just uh, let's just abort this child. No, the baby was born, and here's Pharaoh's daughter. I get the idea she never had any children. I could be wrong. But she decides to take this baby and she says, we brought him up out of the water. And it's interesting, in Hebrew and in Egyptian, the name of Moses means essentially the same thing. Came out of the water. Interestingly, 80 years later, when Pharaoh's armies come bearing down on Moses, he and the Hebrews go safely through the waters of the Red Sea. But when those armies, the armies of what was then the mightiest nation on the face of the earth, they come pouring down there. And that wasn't the only pouring that happened. When they got out in the middle, God said, Miracle, it's over. And The Hebrews, not just Moses, but all of them, passed through the bed of the waters safely on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to do the very same thing, <clears throat> it was good for the Hebrews, not so good for the Egyptians. And those soldiers, those charioteers, and the horses pulling those chariots were destroyed, and all the Hebrews saw were carcasses, and what was left of the chariots smashed to smithereens, washing up on the shore. 
if they saw any of it at all. Moses had a name that reminded him that God is the God who gets you through the waters. There's more about that, but I'm going to have to move on. Deliverance and help can come <clears throat> many times none too soon. You see, just because God doesn't come the first time you ask Him, just because God doesn't come when you think you're in the tight and it won't get any worse, there's a principle in God's Word. Well, there are many principles, but speaking of this, go to Hebrews chapter 4. We'll close with this. You see, God's timing is impeccable. I mean, you can't improve on it. God does what is right, exactly what is right, exactly how it needs to be, and exactly for whom he is pleased to do it. Now we have a saying, <clears throat> writers like to talk about this. You know, the girl's tied to the railroad track, this old snidely whiplash has tied her down, and she's, here comes the train. If a guy sees it from 10 miles away, and he rides up, and he's done do right, and he gets off the horse, and he gets, gets her untied, and they're able to sit around, oh, it's tea time, let's have some tea. And they wait, and they wait, and sooner or later, the train comes along. That's not quite got the punch, does it? But next time you're watching where... The hero or heroine is in a tight. See how close they get to doomsday. Here comes the problem. It's going to do it. it it's going to wipe them out. And suddenly, in the nick of time, they weren't just lucky. It didn't just happen to work out that way. God has a way of reminding us that he can and he will Make good on his word. Look at the last verse of Hebrews 4. Verse 16. When you pray, if you have the attitude, well, I'll only pray as a last resort. It ought to be your first resource. And I've heard people say, we've tried everything else. Might as well pray. Wrong attitude. Let Prayer be plentiful, regular. And if the only prayer you know is God is great, God is good, let us thank him for the food, amen. It doesn't help a whole lot when your loved one has been diagnosed with some deadly contagion or has been involved in a horrific wreck and the doctor says, I don't give him but five minutes. Oh, well, we got four minutes before we can pray. No, but the Lord, in the right timing, His timing is impeccable. You can't do better. And you say, where do you get that, preacher? That's why I asked you to turn to Hebrews 4. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Don't ever say, Lord, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you something. Only if you're not too busy. Now, if I were asking the Lord in my name, I'd be afraid to do even that. 
Because I don't have a whole lot of pull in and of myself. You say, well, what about your family? What about your friends? What about your associates? Well, none of us have a whole lot of pull. I can't even say, in, in the name of Mary, or in the name of one of the apostles, or one of the, the prophets from the Old Testament, not even in the name of the angels, I ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll hear his son. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain mercy. Because what you need is mercy. And what I need is mercy. Remember? The publican, he didn't say, Hey Lord, don't forget about me. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm pretty special. Think about me. No. His quickie prayer was, God be merciful to me, a sinner. The man who stands before God and gives a litany of all of his good deeds, he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. What's important is to realize I am a needy sinner. Because I am. And if you're a child of God, don't go telling me about all the wonderful things you've done because God knows that even our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That should humble us. It does me. So that we may obtain mercy and find grace. Grace isn't what you deserve. It's unmerited favor. Undeserved kindness. Find grace to help in time of need. Literally in the nick of time. At the last possible moment. God didn't tell Abraham, take these days and go take Isaac up and, oh, by the way, 20 minutes later, forget I said that. I know you'll come through. No, he took him right up to the wire. Have you ever been right up to the wire and thought, Lord, are you there? Lord, are you listening? Lord, have you forgotten your child? I'm sure there were a lot of Hebrews all those years 40 years, Moses is growing up. They're still feeling the wind. They're still building those cities for the Pharaoh. And then Moses goes to the backside of the desert. 40 more years. They're still feeling the wind. They're still building those treasure cities for Pharaoh. And when Moses is 80, God had heard all the cries of those Hebrews. His ear was not deaf to their cries, but it was according to his time. And so that's why when we pray, don't ever say, now God, prove that you're God. No. Or if it be your will. If this be the right time. Paul, I like what was said, I think it was by Brother Dan this morning. I don't think anybody outside the Lord was as close to the Father as the Son. And absolutely. And yet he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass. And Paul is the one who asked the Lord to be your will. And yet it wasn't the Lord's will. He had to put up with all the guff and all the stuff was being dumped on him. 
He's a busy man. And yet, he was being taught a lesson, even in that. The Lord said, you got to know something, Paul. My strength is made perfect in weakness. The weaker we are, the greater the Lord will show to be. If, uh, if our, I can do this, I can handle this, I know, I've got the power, I've got the connections, I can make this happen. I don't even need the Lord. Wrong, wrong, wrong. When I am weak, that I'm strong. Hope you know how important it is that we confess not only the strength of the Lord, but the weakness of yours truly. Let's stand for a word of prayer.